Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn with me tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Thank you for being here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 tonight. I really thought I was going to move a lot quicker in this, but it's just so, so, so much and so rich, and I still don't touch most of what's in it. But we're talking about the danger of spiritual deception, and we're in a message. It's really part one again tonight, but it's part two of the message we began last week. I just didn't have enough time to finish it, and I want to do that tonight. We're talking about the heart of a true teacher. In the midst of the danger of deception, what's the heart of a true teacher? Now, to get you into this tonight, I want to talk to you about some stuff. The desire to protect those who are precious to you and to me, it's a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, there's a special Greek word for that, and it's a word that says in the last days will disappear, by the way, of a mother to a child, of, 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 of a father to his family. It's a built-in characteristic to moms and dads towards their children. We even see it in the animal world. I don't know if you know much about that, but as you know, I kind of enjoy that type of thing. And, and a cow moose with a calf, you do not fool with. Oh, they're nice to look at. Look, Mommy, look, Daddy, there's a cow. There's a moose over there. You don't fool with them when they're with a calf. I was reading on just to research it again today just to see all the different tragedies that have happened with people that didn't understand that. The nature of that moose, that cow moose, to protect that calf is incredible, and they're big animals. I don't know if you read it years ago, but up in Alaska, on one of the campuses, I don't remember which one, it was in the, all the news, where they'd been throwing snowballs at that cow moose all day long, had her calf with her, and had so intimidated that moose that it had sort of retreated over near the recreation area of the gymnasium and all of the campus. And a man, a very innocent man, got out of his car to go work out in the gym and somehow, not realizing the situation, got between the cow moose and that calf, and the cow moose trampled him to death. What was it doing? It was just simply trying to protect that little calf. Now, that's true in nature. That's true with mom and dad. That's true. We want to protect those in which that we love very dearly. But when it comes to a Christian teacher wanting to protect his flock from false doctrine, you'll have to pardon the phrase, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Because what happens here is God creates within a teacher's heart the desire to do whatever it takes to protect the sheep, the flock, from false doctrine. He'll stop at nothing. That desire to protect is God's heart in a teacher loving the people. It's an act of love to protect them, uh, the people that love his word. Well, Paul shows us 
that in order to protect the flock in Corinth from the false teachers that are deceiving them, they call themselves apostles, he risks embarrassing himself with what he calls foolishness. As we saw in chapter 11, verse 1, he said, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me. You can just hear the consternation in his voice because Paul hates to commend himself. He's already said in chapter 10 that a person is not approved unless God commends him. And Paul never tried to commend himself unless it was in a situation like this to where he was trying to protect the people from false doctrine. Well, Paul's a teacher who desperately wanted to protect the flock that God has given to him, and he's willing to risk embarrassment. You'll always see that. His fear was that as Eve was deceived by the craftiness of the serpent, that the believers in Corinth would be deceived by the false teachers. First, 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I'm afraid that. There was a fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Now, believers, simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, now listen carefully, is the secret to enjoying the grace that has come down on us, to enjoying the grace that we have in Christ. Now, let me make sure you understand what I just said. You see, when a person receives Christ into his life, he's been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There's nothing you need, you lack in Christ Jesus. All the promises in Scripture are ours in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For as many are the, as are the promises of God, in him they are, yes, him being Christ, Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. And I want to make sure you understand. They are promises. They are not promissory notes. You know what I'm talking about there? In other words, you don't have to make installment payments on it so that you can have it. You already have it. I mentioned last week, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If, if you'll confess your sins, present tense, he is faithful and just to forgive you, heirs tense, and to cleanse you present tense, of all unrighteousness. Actually, the, what the verse is saying is those who have been already forgiven are the ones who are confessing their sins, and as a result, they're beginning to reap the blessings of what they already have, which is the cleansing and the renewal of fellowship with God the Father. We think that if we don't confess, we're not going to be forgiven. No, no, no. You have it all. It's already there, and you don't have to make payments on it. But now, whether or not we're enjoying what we already have in Christ hinges on our simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's not a matter of getting it. It's a matter of understanding how you appropriate it in your life. The word simplicity is the word haplotus, which means single-mindedness, as we saw last week. The word for purity is the word that can be translated sincerity. So, and it complements the word simplicity here. False doctrine is what leads a person off the track. A person in the flock, a person that loves God, leads him off the track. And when his focus gets off of Christ, then it's not as if he doesn't have these things. It's a matter of enjoying them and walking in them and experiencing them in his daily walk. The word lead astray is a Greek, it's one Greek word, which is the word pithero which means to violate, to subvert with wrong information. Wrong information, wrong teaching gets a person off of the track of just single-mindedly seeking Christ and walking with him and in him in the fullness that he can enjoy in him 
The word for mind is the word noema, which is, is not just the mind. It's the capacity of the mind to understand what the Christian life is, to understand and to perceive what is right in his focus on the Lord in his life. Side track like two trains that are traveling on two different tracks and somebody shifts the track and suddenly he gets off track and collides and the destruction that comes as a result of that. And I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be false doctrine that can get you off the track. That's what it is in Corinth. It could be a lot of things. It can be ministry. Did you realize that some people don't understand that you never pursue ministry, you pursue Christ? And the ministry takes place, takes care of itself. If you're pursuing ministry, you're already upset with people who will not join your cause. And you've lost your focus. Your focus is not what you do for him. Your focus is him, period, and what he wants to do through you. So Paul was afraid for the church of Corinth because he knew, he knew very well what was going on there so as a true teacher, he wants, in the first point, we only got to that point last week, he wants to protect the flock from false doctrine. Well, the second thing you see about a true teacher is we continue that message. A true teacher who wants to protect the flock cares about who and what they listen to. Now, this is very important. You see, the false apostles were there. They called themselves apostles were preaching deceitful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem was not that they were there preaching deceitful things. The problem was the people were listening to them. Now, I want you to make sure you understand something. False doctrine is not our problem. The problem is what we're listening to. It's going to have an effect at some point. Verse 4 of chapter 11. For, if, and, and it connects here, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Do you see how he's tying it to verse 3? I don't want you to be deceived as Eve was deceived. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Now, who has Paul preached? Paul has preached the one true Lord Jesus Christ through whom we may be saved. The only one through whom we may be saved. The Jesus of the Bible. The Corinthians had heard this message, the gospel, and they had received it, and that's how the church was birthed. Paul uses the word Jesus at least 44 times in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I just picked a few of them about this Jesus that Paul preached. He's the Jesus who sets us apart. That's what the word saint, that's what the word sanctified means in 1st Corinthians 1 and 2. He's the Jesus who gives us grace and peace. We find it no place else in 1st Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. He's the Jesus who will confirm us to the end as blameless in him because our sins have been forgiven, 1 Corinthians 1.8. He's the Jesus in whom we find fellowship in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He's the one in whom we have victory in 1 Corinthians 15.57. He's the one who enables us to love one another in 1 Corinthians uh, 16 and verse 24. He's the one who lives his life through us in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 and 11. He's the one who laid his life down for us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He's the Jesus of the Scripture. That's who Paul preached. I've read this once or twice, but I think it might be a good time to bring it up again. Who is this Jesus we're talking about tonight, Wayne? Well, somebody has written these words. Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation, the creator of all. 
He's the architect of the universe and manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought light. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The new age cannot replace him. And the talk show host cannot explain him away. He is light, love, longevity, and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are pure. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. And his mind is on me. He's my redeemer. He's my savior. He's my God. And he's my peace. He's my joy. He's my comfort. He is my Lord. And he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love. His burden is light. His goal for me is abundant life. I follow him because he's the wisdom of the wise, the powerful power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of the overcomers, and the sovereign Lord of all that was, all that is, and all that is to come. And if that seems impressive to you, try this on for size. His goal is a relationship with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never mislead me. He'll never forget me. He'll never overlook me, and he'll never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he is the way. When I'm afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problem, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He's everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and every day. He is God. He is faithful. I am his, and he is mine. My Father in heaven can whip the father of this world. So if you're, under, you're wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. He said it, and that settles it. God is in control. I'm on his side. And that means all is well with my soul. Every day is a blessing for God is. Now, that's the Jesus that Paul preached. That's the biblical, scriptural Jesus. But there were those in Corinth who were deceiving the people, deliberately misrepresenting the biblical Jesus. You've got to know who the biblical Jesus is. He says in verse 4 again, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. The word another is the word allos, which is the word that means another of the very same kind. That's interesting, isn't it? They were preaching something that was impossible. Another way of salvation is in a metaphorical use of that. They were preaching another means of salvation, and, and this is an impossibility of what they were doing. Their whole message was foreign to anything that Paul and his team had ever preached. The message of these false teachers brought an entirely different spirit than the Holy Spirit that came into their lives when they received Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Verse 4 goes on. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received. The word for different there is a different word. It's the word heteros, which means another of a totally different kind. Or you receive a, a, a different spirit of a totally different kind, 
which you have not received. You see, any other message brings a different spirit. Instead of the spirit of freedom and life and love, which the Holy Spirit brings to our life, a false message brings a spirit of bondage and of fear, judgmentalism, and you can just keep adding to the list. A different spirit, a different spirit. What's troubling me is in the 21st century, you look for the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you don't see it so often. What spirit is being produced in people who've received a message that's other than the biblical Jesus? There's only one Holy Spirit who comes to live in you and me when we get saved. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he told them, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And from Ephesians 4, 4 and 5, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Upon hearing the gospel that Paul preached, the Corinthian believers heard the message, they received the message, they received Christ, and at the same moment, with Christ came the Holy Spirit, the one and only Spirit that God gives. This is the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. In John chapter 14, 16 through 18, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. They receive a different spirit, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you and be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is really the spirit of Christ himself in Romans 8, 9. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That's the message. That's what Paul had preached. But again, these false teachers were preaching a false Jesus. And as a result of that, there was a different spirit than what the Holy Spirit is or who he is and what he does in our life. Verse 4 again, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received. They were listening to false teachers preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different message that had no good news in it. Verse 4 again, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. See, it's totally, radically contrary to anything that Paul and his team had done. A different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different message. Now, here's what was causing Paul to fear. He knew what these people were preaching, and so did the Corinthians. But his problem was, as I said earlier, they were listening to it instead of dealing with the deceit that was found in it. Paul says, you bear this beautifully in the last part of verse 4. What is he talking about? The word bear is the word aneko, and it means to endure something. You endure it. It also means to admit it. How do they endure it? How do they admit it? By listening to it, by accepting it, by paying attention to it. The word beautifully is the word kalos, and it means good. In a good in, here it carries the idea of, it's really ironic what it carries here. Ironically, they're preaching something different with a different spirit, a different Jesus, and ironically, 
You're accepting them and admitting them and listening to them. And let me ask you a question. Isn't it ironic in the 21st century how believers even today will turn away from the biblical Jesus and from the God of, this, of, the, of his word to turn to people who are more polished maybe in saying it, more, let's see, they, they'll have a lack of, of pointedness when they speak. They don't nail you. They comfort you, make you feel better, whatever we want to say about that. But they preach and teach that which is false. I've gone around the world so many times. Been overseas so many times, I've never begun to tell you how many times. But I want you to know something. Everywhere I go, I find it. Anything but Jesus. Give me music instead of give me Jesus. Give me something that makes me feel good instead of give me Jesus. Give me a church that entertains me instead of give me Jesus. It's everywhere. And it's incredible. Just like Eve was deceived by the serpent, the people of this world are in believers particularly or they call themselves that, are being deceived by the same garbage that Eve listened to. Watching Larry King live a few months ago, I heard a man who's very famous sit there and he said, how can you explain the crowds? How can you explain? He said, oh, listen, we tell the people what they want to hear. We don't tell them what they don't want to hear. I want to tell you something, folks. A is where we are, B is where we want to be. But I hate to tell you, but I have to tell you, there's a cross in between A and B. And what you want is over here. But you have to die to yourself before you can find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And people don't want to hear that message. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You can feel good about yourself. Have more esteem in yourself. We're not, we don't find our identity in ourselves. We find our identity in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul cares about who, and he cares about what the believers in Corinth were listening to. Why? Because he wanted to protect them from being seduced by false doctrine, just exactly the way Eve was seduced in the garden. He so a true teacher wants to protect the flock from false doctrine. You see, false doctrine will lead you into a bondage. The, spirit, the, the truth of God's grace will set you free. But Paul, a, a true teacher cares about who, who and what the, the people he teaches listen to. But thirdly, a true teacher has an intimate knowledge of the Jesus that he preaches. It's intimate. Now, this is what sets him apart. Look at verse 5. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the, the eminent, most eminent apostles. Now, I want you to understand straight out, Paul has absolutely no respect for these false teachers that call themselves apostles in the Corinthian church. When he uses the term eminent apostles, he does it tongue-in-cheek. He has nothing good to say about them. The false apostles were proud and arrogant, and Paul was not impressed. The word eminent is the Greek word epiphanos, which comes from two words. The word eper, which means above, and the word phano, to shine. To shine over and above. But it's a term used to describe outright arrogance and pride in our context. So you have to understand what he's dealing with here. When added to the word apostles, it just serves to point to the cocky, self-centered people who call themselves apostles, for whom he had no respect at all. 
when Paul compared himself with them, which is ridiculous to think about, there was no comparison. He says the word, he said, I, I don't consider myself. The word consider is the word logizome. And it's, it's a reckoning type of word, which means to put all the facts together and to come up with a conclusion. And the conclusion that Paul came up with, they don't even show up on the scale. When you compare the two together, they don't even register. The phrase, not in the least inferior, is the word estereo, which literally means last, to be in the last of the line. <laughs> Every time I come back home, I laugh to laugh. Every time I come back home from overseas, I try to pick the line that I can get through customs the fastest. Every time. I've been overseas 60, 65 times. And every time I come home, <laughs> I think I'm going to do it this time. And it's always, the, I'm the last one in there. I know what it means to be hysterion, in the back of the line. Translation here is great, inferior. That's exactly what he's saying. That's what he's trying to talk about. He said, when you put me up next to them, I'm not back here in the back of the line behind these guys. He says, no way is that the case. Why? Because the one thing that Paul has, many things, but particularly he singles in on one, that they don't have. They don't have it. And therefore, it puts him in the front of the line, not the back of the line. Verse 6, but even if I am unskilled in speech, Yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we've made this evident to you in all things. Now, the false apostles, we've already seen this in chapter 10, if you've been with us. They ran their mouth all the time trying to tear him down by how contemptible Paul's speech was. You see, he wasn't polished. And the way he spoke was as if he wasn't educated. But let me explain that further. Now, see, this is one of the ways, as I said, they tore him down to build themselves up. Paul says, but even if I am unskilled in speech. Now you're going to begin to understand what was contemptible to them. The word unskilled is the word idiotis, uh, which means unskilled, yes, but it also can be translated plain speaking. You see, Paul was not a politician. Paul didn't stand up before people to make them feel better. Paul got right to the point because he knew that that was the only thing that would set them free. Paul was plain spoken. In fact, uh, every, every, he had written some letters to the, shows you how plain spoken he was. Instead of masking everything he says with clever cliches, he got right to the point. You know, it's funny, I love it out west, because in the south, they take the dead rat and put it on the table and act like it's not there, it just smells up the room. They're so culturally nice. But out here, it's a little different in it. They just take that dead rat, slap it on the table, and that starts the conversation. I kind of I like that. Let's just get right to the point. But you see, a politician doesn't like that. He's got to massage the people with nice words. He's got to massage the people with a message. They like, they like that. They respond to that. So through the polished, deceitful, false apostle, this plain spokenness of Paul was a sign of being uneducated. But I'll tell you one thing, he was far from being uneducated. In fact, he most likely is the most intelligent man other than Jesus in the whole New Testament. He could stand on Mars Hill, take the great philosophers of, of Athens, and debate with them and win. Incredibly intelligent. Knew the Old Testament better than anybody. Studied under Gamaliel, who was the greatest teacher of the Old Testament that lived in that day. No, he wasn't what they thought he was. Verse 6. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. Now, here we go. Paul had an intimate knowledge of the Christ in whom he preached, and that was the difference. 
They had a lot of facts, maybe, and whatever else. They had polished cliches and things to make people feel better about themselves. Paul knew the one that he was preaching, about whom he was preaching. The word for knowledge is the word gnosis, and it comes from gnosko, which means a deeper and experiential knowledge. It's something you, you have to learn. In fact, it would help you sometime to study 1 Corinthians 12. People think today that gift of knowledge is something, oh, God, this spoke to me. No, 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 no. It's the word that means the ability to dig it out and come to the right conclusion. It's not what anybody says it, it seems to, to be to some people anyway. You see, more than just biblical truth of the Word of God in the Old Testament, Paul had an intimate knowledge of the Christ in which he preached. The word for knowledge, again, is that, it is that experiential knowledge. Paul, Paul not only knew what he was talking about, Paul knew who he was talking about, and he knew him intimately and personally. But the Corinthian believers knew that. They knew this about Paul. He says, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, in every way, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. They saw it. They already knew that. There was that fragrance about Paul that we found back in chapter 2. He's chained to God's chariot. Everywhere he would go, the people would sense the sweet fragrance of Christ. He knew him. He walked with him. And these false apostles didn't have a clue. Evident is the word in the Greek, phanero. It means plain for all to see without any question whatsoever. Paul says, you've seen this. I don't have to tell you this. I'm not going to compare myself with these jack legs. He said, there's no comparison. They don't even show up on a scale. So we're seeing the heart of a true teacher in the midst of a time that's very dangerous for deception. We see that he wants to protect the flock from any kind of, of, of biblical error because it's in truth that sets us free. Not only that, to do that, he cares about who and what they listen to. But he's a man that has an intimate knowledge with the Jesus that he's preaching. He knows him, and it's evident in his life. Let me ask you a question tonight as we kind of bring this to a close. I've got a few more things to say. Who are you listening to? Who or what are you listening to? What has led you astray from the simplicity of just simply focusing on Christ, walking with Him, talking with Him, letting His Word renew your mind, letting His Spirit transform your life? What's led you astray? What is it? Eve was deceived. And this is maybe something I haven't clarified enough. Maybe you haven't connected A and B. Eve was deceived by what appealed to her flesh. Remember what it says in the Genesis account, chapter 3? We read it last time, but I didn't really elaborate. It says she saw that the tree, now this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God said you cannot eat from. She saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes. She saw that the tree was a delight, a lust of the flesh, right? Lust of, he said delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And then it, it, it was desirable to make one wise. Wow, the flesh loves that kind of thing. Let me read what Jesus or what John says about it in 1 John it's the same exact thing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Now, folks, what I'm saying is the world has a way that appeals to the flesh. The flesh likes it. It likes it. Nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If he habitually pursues the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. And then he describes the three things that brought Eve down. The lust of the flesh 
what the flesh likes. The lust of the eyes. Woo! I delight in seeing what I see. And the boastful pride of life. Oh, it'll make me wise. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. Why would you want to go after that which is passing away? And also its lusts. But the one who does continually, habitually, the will of the Father lives forever. What has led you astray from the simplicity and purity of your single-minded focus on the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, that's what he's what's scaring him. That's what brings in the fear in a true teacher because he sees what's happening with the people in whom he's trying to teach. This is Saturday night. I'll just bear my heart. <laughs> One of the things I keep hearing is, Wayne, you need to lower your teaching, son. You need to lower your teaching. People can't understand you. It's not a seminary class. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If I bring it down, I've insulted everybody in this whole congregation right here. And I've slapped the Holy Spirit right in the face. You see, truth, you'll rise to truth if you truly believe God. And that truth will set you free. But Wayne, we don't have the numbers. We may never have the numbers. But what we will have will touch this world for Jesus Christ. That's bottom line. And I hope you're seeing this and what Paul's trying to tell an errant church in Corinth who was more in love with the world than they were Jesus. That's the danger of deception. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.